Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. We are joined, as always, by our uh, our Car Stuff pit crew. I decided we could call them now, oh, right? Yeah, I like, I yeah. like it. we got Dylan. Uh, we've got Matt sometimes, and we've got, of course, Noel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, you are you, and you are here. Thank you for dropping by. And welcome to Car Stuff, as Scott said earlier <laughs> at the opening. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That was a long time ago. You that know, was a long was like time ago. Seconds ago. Water under the bridge. Yeah, really. You got to move on, Ben. You got to move on. I got to move on. Yeah. So let's move on right now. No sense standing on ceremony. Scott, you made my day uh, earlier, a few weeks back, when you hipped me to today's topic, which is something I had no idea about and came to us from a listener mail. Yeah, I can't take all the credit for it. This came from a listener named Bill S. And Bill S. wrote in uh, with a long note. Uh, you know, he again, this is the guy that was the um, the Japanese consulate in Detroit. He's the um, or he works for the Japanese consulate in Detroit, I should say. Maybe I said that wrong the last time, but he works for the Japanese consulate in Detroit. I should make that clear. Um <laughs> Anyways, he had uh, a bunch of stuff to say here. It's kind of a big grab bag of material, and um, one part of that note that I was going to read initially in a in a nuts and bolts episode a couple months ago, I didn't get to it. Um, he mentioned something that was really really intriguing. And I, I thought you would find this interesting, and you did. So that's today's topic. Um, just out of the an excerpt out of the middle of this this note here says, as part of my job, I read a lot of news publications out of Ohio. I found this article about one of the hundreds of automotive companies that sprung up and died in the opening decades of the 20th century. We talked about that in, in one of our podcasts, right? The um, I think it was Defunct Automobile Companies or something yes, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, long time ago. This one is named Templar Motors. Interesting name right off the bat, right? I mean, dun, dun, dun. makes you think of something. So it says the company even has a Masonic link that might be of interest to Ben if he's feeling particularly conspiratorial. Uh, Bill, you know about the other show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Templar Motors. And 
this is exactly what the name implies. This mm-hmm. has a Masonic link to it. Yes, the uh, the company was active uh, first in 1917, right? They yeah. started in 1917, and they were named for the Knights Templar. Yeah, uh, you know it's unusual because a lot of a lot of car companies will just take the last name of the uh, the head guy, right? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is the head guy or guys in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, were all Knights Templar. They were all. Yep. They all had that ranking in the Masonic uh, organization. So, um, the guys' names were Arthur M. Dean, J. E. Matthews, and then Matthew F. Bramley, and they were all again Knights Templar. Um, they are the founders of, the, of what eventually became known as Templar Motors Company. Um, and initially, it was just called Templar Cars, I think, or Templar Motors. Um, th- there's some restructuring that happens a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. The history of this place isn't very long. It's only about eight years, uh, but it is pretty interesting. And there's some uh, some little tidbits of information that go along with this that I, I found really intriguing. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll try to touch on some of that, but um, <laughs> it's funny. We're, we're, I mean, we've done this in the past when we talk about these, but I mean, this is a failed car company, really. It's, it wasn't successful. Or did it just go underground? <laughs> okay. I, I wondered how many times you're going to use that voice throughout this podcast. <laughs> so there's one. I'll, right. mark, I'll mark them right here. One. Okay. All right. One. No need to get paperwork involved here. <laughs> all right. So Scott. it was called, again, it was called Templar from about 1917 mm-hmm. until 1923. Mm-hmm. Then there was uh, some something that happened we'll talk about in a minute here, minute here but um, it became Templar Motor Car Company from 1923 until 1924 when it went out of existence. Just one year. Yep. So the three guys who get together, of the three, the original president is uh, Matthew Bramley. He was the founder of the Cleveland Trinidad Paving Company. Uh, this place had a lot of history with Cleveland. They laid the first asphalt paved road uh, in town. Hmm. Uh, the Templar plant was at 4000 Halstead Street. Uh, they designed their own engines and then they built them in their own factory. They used just a single chassis for the entire product line. Yeah, and all this has changed a little bit because um, we're talking about a company that was around right at the end of World War I. Um, so the city has changed a bit, and we keep mentioning that it's in Cleveland or it's in Ohio. Um, it's it's really in the greater, uh, what do you call it, I guess the greater metro area of, of Cleveland. Of Cleveland. It, yeah, it's a, it's a city that, that borders Cleveland. So uh, you can still say it's in Cleveland, I suppose. But the city itself is Lakewood, and Lakewood, Ohio. And the the street that this um, this factory now sits on is called Athens Avenue. So if you're looking for it, it's in, it's on Athens Avenue. Yeah, right I near think the water. They called it Halstead Street when they were when the factory was in operation. That's correct. They did. Yeah. They, all these. I'm trying to say like all these things change over time. Oh, you know, yeah, the city yeah, yeah. kind of develops and changes uh, as things happen. But they're again, they're like they're just off of Lake Erie. They're right there on the water or near the water, anyways. So this is uh, this is a nice factory. They're uh, they're an upstart at a time when upstart motor companies were way more common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when we did some on defunct auto companies before, we mentioned uh, the soda comparison. Yeah, right. When uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, in addition to uh, being very well versed in automotive history, uh, my co-host Scott also knows uh, a weirdly uh, a weirdly thorough amount of stuff about soda history. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that is. I just kind of uh, been just interested pick in it up, it. Yeah. right? Yeah, here and there. And so one of the things that started in the early days of soda manufacturing was that numerous, numerous companies would open up. Everybody and their grandmother's cousin had their own sarsaparilla outfit or something. Yeah. And eventually, uh, these things either 
fall to the wayside or they get acquired by another increasingly successful company and then boom you have just a few big dogs running. That's that seems to be how business goes often. Yeah, or they try to grow too fast. You know, they buy too much of uh, like a property that's too big for them, or they try to yeah. fulfill orders that are too big for them to fulfill, and, and that's what ends up happening. And they take out loans that they can't pay back. Um, that's where a lot of those small companies went under. And that's that applies to small companies in general. Yeah, oh, yeah, and that happened a lot with you know, soda and uh, yeah, with and with cars, car companies. Yeah. So we talked about the thousands of car companies that went under in the United States. But just to give you an idea of how competitive this was in this era when they when they opened. Uh, to stay around eight years is not too bad, really, for them. So Templar was one of more than 80 car companies that operated in just northeast Ohio alone. Did you hear me? 80 car companies. Wow. Did you hear me, Ben? 80? <laughs> I'm trying to emphasize that. You said car- eight, right? No, I said 80. <laughs> 80, 80 car companies in northeast, uh, northeast Ohio alone. So it gives you an idea of like that region – how uh, how many upstarts there were. And some of these, now we have to admit, though, some of these didn't even produce more than one vehicle. Some didn't produce any vehicles. They were just on paper alone, uh, never got off the ground. And many produced very, very small numbers, yeah. uh, very, very small productions. And even this company, which eventually, as we'll find out, they produced around 6,000 total in the end. Yeah. Uh, that's still considered a, a very small company. Uh, and I guess, you know, if you want to put it this way, it was a failure, really, because it, it only lasted eight years. And uh, I know there are moments of success there, too. I mean, I, I totally get that. But um, anyway, it, it will be written about as, I guess, a failed car company, if you look at it that way. Right. Um, yeah. So this car, was it was kind of something special, though. It was uh, It was a luxury car. Um, but it was also, this is weird. The way they describe this is a couple of different ways. Um, maybe first what we should tell them is that it wasn't really a car that was entirely built in-house. Yeah. This is an assembled car. Yeah. So what Let's they built. a little bit about that. Yeah, well, what they built, Templar designed and built their own engines. Ooh. So that's what they did there at the factory. They designed and built their own engines. But then they also would take, um, you know, I mentioned these other 80 companies that are in the area that are building cars. They had custom-built um, pieces made at other factories that would be then shipped to them at Templar and then assembled. So this is an assembled car, really, using their engine. And they all use the single, you know, the same single chassis for the entire product line, and then each of the bodies were built um, to, you know, whatever specifications they wanted by three different companies. Mm-hmm. And those companies were the Lang Body Company, the Ohio Blower Company, and then a company called Rubay Company, R-U-B-A-Y. And uh, and so you could get one of these, you know, many different models, of course, and, and you know, you could do custom things with those models. But, um, again, they're all built on the single chassis. They all use the same engine at the time. Yeah, and this uh, this was not by any means uncommon. I would say this was more the rule than the exception for a lot of – a lot of uh, – Car manufacturers at the time or, you know, like custom coach builders would be given a chassis and an engine and then build around it in yeah. some cases, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not unheard of by any means. So mm. nothing unusual. It's just, it's just another interesting little tidbit about this company. And as you would imagine, you know, because of the Masonic roots with these guys being Knights Templar, um, its emblem was the Maltese cross, which is, of course, associated with the Knights Templar, the Templar Knights. Right. Um, who oh. were, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about this. How about this? Why don't you tell us what the Knights Templar, what they uh, consist of? Maybe. Oh man, am I saying that right? Uh, I, yeah, what? Well, yes. I guess okay. So. <clears throat> so the Knights Templar, uh, the official name is the Poor Fellow Soldiers of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon. When they started, uh, they became one of the 
wealthiest and most powerful Christian military orders in their heyday existed for nearly two centuries. They um, were fighters, right? They were fighters. Yeah. They were fighters in the Crusades, and they were like elite fighters. Um, they were the most skilled. Uh, the Catholic Church did endorse them in the 12th century, like 1129, late 1120s. Okay. I never thought I'd say that sentence. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Uh, so they were tied to the Crusades. That's what, how you hear about them a lot. Um, and I think – now, uh, someone correct me on this, fellow Indiana Jones fans. I'm, I'm leaning on you for this because I'm winging it here. But I'm pretty sure that, spoiler alert, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, <laughs> a.k.a. the best one, that um, – shots fired – that uh, <laughs> that ultimately he does uh, – Indiana does associate with Templars, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe um, uh, this is – I haven't watched it in 15 years, Ben. What are you doing, um, man? I, I don't know, but – Do you want a DVD? Is, I have three. Isn't it, a, DVD. isn't it an, uh, one of the Knights Templar that's guarding the chalice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. The guy that – Tells him he's chosen wisely. Yes, I think that, that is a knight templar, or a templar knight, I guess. I think it is. I may be incorrect, I'm, but I'm I, pretty sure. Yeah, there's uh, a tie in. There. I would put dollars to donuts on it. So eventually, uh, the knights templar, the historical, the historic original version, uh, gets into uh, some some trouble, and the the grand master of the organization is caught and tortured, and the Pope at the time, uh, Pope Clement, uh, decides to disband the order, but uh, the group has, uh, the the group continued, um, according to different stories you'll hear in different, different other uh, groups. So Knights Templar in uh, Freemasonry is is a little bit different. That would be, <clears throat> let me take a breath before I say it, the full name of the Knights Templar in, in Freemasonry is the United Religious, Military, and Masonic Orders of the Temple and of St. John of Jerusalem, Palestine, Rhodes, and Malta. Wow, they have to have a huge business card. It's like really big. <laughs> yeah. Maybe two-sided. Maybe, two maybe it's tiny print. Maybe it folds out. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a long name. I wonder why they have such an overly complicated name for themselves. Well, a lot of that stuff comes from tradition, I imagine. Now, just for full disclosure, Scott, neither you nor I, nor Dylan or, or Noel, are uh, ourselves Templars, right, or, or Freemasons. Are you sure of that, Ben? Wait. No, no, and now a word from our sponsor. What? The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And we're back. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shame it happened off air. Uh, <laughs> but thanks for thanks for set set me uh, set me straight, clearing that up. Uh, yeah. So the reason Bill is busting my chops just a little bit there in the letter is because I work on another show that encounters what people call conspiracy theories, and you've probably had a lot of uh, folks who you've run into before who are excited to talk about Freemasons or Masonic orders. It's very mysterious. Or things, yeah, or things related to that because there are various conspiracy theories surrounding it. We don't have to get into those uh, today, but I, I will say both for the, the Masons who listen to that show and the Masons who are listening to this show, uh, we had, when, when we looked at it on our conspiracy show, stuff that I want you to know, we had some of the greatest people writing into us and and saying, "Hey, like, thanks for you know not falling for all the crazy tinfoil no, that you, you know, hear." I, can I tell you this? Yeah. I know I know people that are involved in that yeah. type, that, that organization, that group, yeah. family members even, and uh, they do a lot of good for the community. I mean, yeah. a lot of good for the community. Look at the Shriners. That's oh a, man, that's, that's, I knew you were going to talk about Shriners. That. Are a branch of of this mm-hmm. whole thing, right? And yeah. and the Shriners, they do amazing things for children. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's a really good organization. It's not just that one branch either. They uh, they all do a lot of community service. It's it's all about serving really for them. Right, and as a outsider for this organization, I freely admit I am not uh, I'm not by any means an authority. Mm-hmm. or even really conversant in the way that the various degrees work or the way that the orders work. Yeah, you'd have to be on the inside to know that. Yeah, you'd probably have to be on the inside. So if there's anyone uh, who is a Mason who is checking out this episode and I just uh, botched something in my description, uh, then I, I do apologize and I welcome any correction via email. We give our email address at the end of the show every episode. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're opening yourself up there. Yeah, I am because it's important, especially when something, you know, when, when any organization is like targeted by someone else and then you have a bunch of rumors spreading about you, then oh. 
you know. Absolutely. We don't, we don't do that by, we don't by any means. That. In fact, we're probably the opposite. We're more like spreading the good word, really. Yeah, except <laughs> for, uh, you know, flying cars, the Honda Odysseys, I think, are the, are two main. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, we may have uh, made some enemies there. <laughs> if you're writing to me about the Honda Odyssey, then delete. I'm writing email. to you from my Honda Odyssey. So uh, I derailed us just a little bit, but we we thought that was interesting because, um, given the way that the public perceives masonry uh, and, and Knights Templar, it's it's a very interesting choice. For the inspiration for the car and the the cars they built uh, were uh, you know well, they, I was they were something special yeah I was pretty captivated by them yeah yeah there's uh, th- there's something to them I didn't mean to cut you off you had no, more to say there but right. uh, but they're they're marketed in a couple of different ways and mm-hmm. uh, this is really pretty fascinating to me they're they're called a luxury car but they're also a small car uh, sort of like um, like a, what a sports car would be today yeah only they weren't really sports cars I mean if you look at them you wouldn't say sports car but mm-hmm. um, not in today's terms of course but um, back then even I think there were sportier cars but uh, it's it's just a strange way that they they've associated themselves with a couple of different things here but I can see the the luxury aspect of this because they were a bit expensive um, I think that, you know, in the initial year in 1917, I think it was. Yeah. Um, one of the cars, you know, I mentioned the, that, uh, coach builder, uh, Roubaix, right? Uh-huh. Uh, one of the, that had a coach work, uh, the coach work that was done by a guy named Leon Roubaix sold for like $4,250 back in 1917. And if you take that to $2016, that would be like a $68,000 car. That's and that's, crazy. Uh, now that's during World, World War One because World War One was going on between what, 1914 and, 1918, I believe it was. So uh, that's the last, you know, the very end of that when they started production. And uh, of course, you know, that plays into it as well. You know, what they did with their uh, their facility there. And in just a moment, we'll talk about that. But these cars, um, I said, there's something special about them, and they really paid a lot of attention to detail when they put these things together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> one of the first things is really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? The paint. Oh yeah. The the every car, every single vehicle. Um, and I, I think at their peak, they were making eight vehicles per day in yeah. their factory. Every single uh, vehicle had 27 coats of paint. 27. 27 coats of paint on every car that came out of that factory. That's amazing. Uh, I bet you would never see that stuff peeling. It's probably hard as a rock when it came out of there, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like almost like the, the enamels of today, you know, like the real mm-hmm. tough stuff. Um, but well, the, hopefully it was that way anyways. The, paint, paint wasn't what it – Paint wasn't then what it is now. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. No kidding, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they also had uh, they they had a five-passenger touring car and a four-passenger sportette model, <laughs> but they were both built on the same chassis. Yeah, right? and they had these really unique features, right? Mm-hmm. So all these cars uh, would have uh, these, these really interesting add-ons, I guess. Uh, some of them, the one thing that they had was an inspection light, which is powered by the car's battery. They also had an electric horn, which is pretty unusual for the day. They had a tire pump and a compressor uh, that was powered by the car's engine. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, so if you get a flat or something like that, that's, uh, that's really innovative for back then. Windshield um, wipers. They had a toolkit on board. Yep. They had a, uh, a jack for, you know, the, the spare. I guess that was unusual at the time. Mm-hmm. They had a locking ignition, which uh, was unheard of. And there's another cool thing here. Yeah, the roadsters, right? Yeah, the roadsters, the Templar roadsters came with a camera, a Kodak 3A camera and a compass. And I think that's so cool. That's such a good way to get people out there, you know, because we have to remember 
the roads are kind of rough in this in this situation. Yeah, right? I mean, this is exact. This is exactly what they wanted people to do with their product. They wanted them to travel out to the country outside of the cities yeah. and see some of the land, see what's going on. You know take some photos, bring them back into the city. Why did I say in this situation? I meant in this time period. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's a win-win for the car manufacturers at this time. Uh, you know, there's no interstate system yet. So travel of this sort is still is still going to be uh, turning people's heads when you go through town. So essentially every time a Templar motor car or, heck, any automobile goes through a small town – it's automatically advertisement yeah. for that manufacturer. And, you know, I, I mentioned all that, that laundry list of things, or we did. Um, that was all standard. That wasn't things that were, you know, optional equipment. That was something that you always got with a Templar when you bought it brand new. So um, it's loaded with features. And you just mentioned advertising, right? Yes. I, I remember hearing an interview with the guy. There's a guy that we're going to talk about in a moment that uh, has a collection of these. And um, he he'd mentioned in one of these interviews that, the advertising, the print advertising, was geared towards women. They were always they were focused on women in the ads. Like uh-huh. Women drivers. It was. A, I don't know if it was made like a car that was marketed for women or not. But um, he said the ad, the print ads, were always focused on the women. Why is that? Scott? Well, I don't mean like models or anything. Or I, mean, yeah. I mean, they were like uh, to be the the people that were to buy and use these vehicles, like the female demographic. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know why that was. And they didn't include anything. Um, you know, hokey or anything like that. It wasn't like, um, oh, yeah, like we, the Dodge La Femme or something, you know, like yeah. they had like those just really, oh, that's so those like were, condescending. I was going to say condescending. Yeah. yeah that's a, it, the stuff they would put in the glove box, like lipstick to match the paint and, uh-huh. I don't know, like a purse or an umbrella some or something. Gloves or something. Yeah. It was something like, really kind of crazy. Here's it, a way to hold your face powder. Yeah. It was, it, it, was, it was very awful. strange. Yeah. It was yeah. awful. It was nothing like that. It was just, uh, it was, it was clear in their print ads that they wanted women drivers in these things. So yeah. um, it's an interesting thing for 1917. And I've Let's got put a, it that way. You know, I've got to follow up, though, on I, – I don't know if you saw this in the research, but one thing that I thought was really interesting, we already had uh, some of your famous uh, calculations of mm-hmm. inflation there for a bespoke vehicle, right, that was custom coached. Yeah. Their typical car price ranged from two thousand to thirty five hundred. Okay, over the length of the company, and still a little bit expensive. You're right, Scott. You are right. Uh, two thousand dollars in nineteen seventeen is about thirty seven thousand seven hundred dollars in twenty sixteen. Okay. So, what's interesting to me about that is that is a little high, but it isn't completely out of the ballpark of what we would consider the average price of a sedan. Well, it's not like a Duesenberg or something like that. Right, you know, or where Packard. The, yeah, or Packard, or what were the other ones? The three Ps, right? Uh, yeah. Peerless, Packard, and uh, ah, I can't remember. Pierce Arrow. Nah, oh, yeah, Pierce Arrow. It That's is it. Pierce Arrow. It is Pierce Arrow, yeah. Oh, is that why there's all this confetti and balloons <laughs> dropping down in the studio? <laughs> nice work, Ben. Nice work. I can't remember I can't remember anything. That's good. So, um, yeah, it wasn't something like that, but it was uh, it was sort of expensive, but not the most expensive, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then there's a list of cars, you know, that was similar to in price, I guess, or right around the ballpark. Yeah. Or some of the few, few lower, too, like Oldsmobile Runabout or, um, you know, the, the Coal 30 and the Colt Runabout. They were all uh, a little bit lower, probably about half the price, really, uh, is this vehicle. Um, and, and, oh, one other thing we should point out here is that in, you know, when the, the time frame that we're talking about, you know, like as the, as the company progressed, um, or maybe I need to go back a moment here. How about that? All right. Let's go back. We'll rewind. Um, yeah, because we did, we kind of glossed over the war era. 
going back to the Warriors, and again, this is World War One at the very end when they started production, which is just terrible timing. I don't know why they would attempt that, but uh, they started in 1917. Of course, it went on until 1918. Um, they had to back production way down. They didn't completely stop production. They built about 150 cars in 1918. Uh, but they did also contribute to the war effort, as did almost every automobile manufacturer right. in the United States. They built um, at that factory. They built art- artillery shells for the war effort, and I uh, there was a certain size that they built. I don't remember exactly what it was, but um, it was a you know their part for the war, and yeah. uh, they backed production way way down. And I would guess that. Um, I'm not going to say this for sure, but, you know, the war ended late in 1918. I wonder if the production number is so low because they, they started production at the very end of 1918. That right. might be the case. They only made around 150 cars that year. Yeah, so, I mean, that could be, the, you know, the last two months of the year. It could be that they were just building one or two here and there in between, mm-hmm. you know, these shell orders. I, I just don't know what the exact situation was there. But um, so they've got this... Uh, this this uh, this car factory up and going again in 1918. They're they're successful, as you said. They were at peak. They were building what like eight cars a day. Eight cars a day, and then in 1919, they really started cooking with gas because they added a, another body type. They had three body types: the coupe, sportette, and sedan, uh, and. They had like 900 employees. Oh, that's big. Yeah, so they were growing. Well, the factory, you know, we mentioned this factory a couple times. It's it's 300,000 square feet of space. It's a big factory. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they had a lot of room to do this. And you said 900 employees. That's pretty big. They built 1,800 cars. Yeah, yeah. in 1919. And this, Uh, and that's just one year. And we also have to consider, you know, at this point in history, these are all pretty much handmade. Yeah. And these. Well, they are all handmade. Right. Right. Oh yeah, no robots making. I don't no, need no to robots have, welding. <laughs> I don't need to say pretty much. Yeah, um, and this is also the post-war boom. So a lot of companies are growing, uh, and there are um, there are also because of these increased economic opportunities, more people are capable of buying cars. Yes, too. so they increased the price a little bit in 1920 yeah. and 1921. They bumped the prices up a little bit on their cars, and uh, of course, people paid that because it was a quality vehicle, right? Uh, but you have to understand too that the car had been unchanged uh, from the beginning of the company until now. I mean, they added this one sedan body style, right? And that was about it. Yeah. Um, the car itself, the chassis, the engine. Uh, you know, the, the basics, I guess, of the car. You know, you can still get custom coach work done, but um, it had basically remained unchanged. And in, uh, what was it, 1920, I guess it would be after 21, in 1922, um, they started to announce a couple of cheaper models. Um, so, uh, you know, th- there was competition that was, you know, gr- as you said, this is a, a, a post-war boom, right? So a lot of companies yeah. are, are doing what they're doing. There's a lot of competition out there, and they decided that they needed to create some cheaper models and they came out with this Roadster and this deluxe sports model, which came in at just under two thousand dollars. And you said two thousand dollars was uh, was ballpark what thirty thousand dollars? Thirty-seven thousand. Thirty-seven. So uh, a little more affordable, I guess, for for everybody at that time. You know, proportionally, if you want to put it that way. But these models that were now a little bit cheaper, you know, the uh, the, the Roadster and the deluxe, uh, the deluxe sports, I should say, came about. Right after something major had happened at the factory, something that was uh, a bit of a setback to the to the company itself, right? Kind of, and kind of the downturn of the whole company. Right, and we will, I you know, downturn is a very is almost doesn't do it justice. Okay, this is uh, this is the the onset of the demise of the company. Yeah, the beginning and of the end. It happened in 1921, but we'll tell you when we come back. And now a word from our sponsor. 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And we're back. Scott, yes, as as we said earlier, they all the cylinders were firing. Everything was going gangbusters. Yeah, they even had new models. Even had new models. Yep. uh, From about 1917 to 1921, but then something happened. What? In December of 1921, a major fire swept through the entire factory. Uh, Just gutted the whole thing, and... uh, uh, there were receivers that were appointed in uh, in October of 1922, and 1922, as we said, you know, they had these new models that were supposed to be coming out, but they're they're trying to deal with the damage that this fire had done to the factory. Um, it, eventually, you know, the company was was forced to refinance, and it became another company at this point. We mentioned the new name change, right? Yeah. Um, it became Templar Motor Car Company in 1923, and then they started to work on a brand new engine. Uh, they were going to work out. Um, uh, something for a larger car because they thought the future was in larger cars. They had, you know, these smaller but well-appointed cars. They wanted to do larger, 
luxury cars at this point. So they were working on a 4.3-liter six-cylinder engine at the time um, in 1923 when they switched names. Um, these new models were based around a 122-inch wheelbase frame, and they had a range of uh, four- and five-seat bodies. So this is, again, 1923. This is right near the very end of the company. We're getting, right. we're getting there, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's not good for them. Um, another... Um, bit of uh, a technology i guess that was introduced was four-wheel brakes which is funny to think of that mm-hmm. you know you didn't have brakes on all of your wheels at that point uh but again four-wheel <laughs> brakes um i don't think they were the first to do that by any means but um 1923 was kind of a uh, uh i don't know not a great year for sales for them no no unfortunately uh it looks like their peak years were behind them and they were they were put in a situation that a lot of younger car companies would find themselves in, which is, it's almost like uh, growing a plant or something. Uh, the conditions have to be just right for some plants, it's like a very fragile plant mm-hmm. when it's a seedling or sapling or whatever. And if one thing goes wrong, then it can spell the end. So they never really recovered from that fire. And their their sales, uh, as valiant as the effort was, uh you have to ask how long they would have existed. Well, you know? here's the problem. In 1923, yeah. I said it was a bad year for sales. Yeah. They, they only sold 125 cars that year. It's a bummer, man. Yeah, that yeah. entire year. And, I mean, I, you can understand coming off of the fire and the damage and the loans and the, you know, just trying to battle back with, uh, well, you know, new product and... A lot of that's just, production time, oh, man, too. There's, just, there's a lot going against them here. And in late 1924... The money just simply runs out. They just they can't do it anymore. They, they can't, defaulted um, on a loan, right? Yeah, they defaulted on a loan. They had to pass the ownership back to the local bank, um, and the bank had called in a loan, of course, and production ceased. And um, it just it it just didn't work out for them. Nineteen twenty four was the end of this whole thing, or was it? Bum bum bum. <laughs> well, I didn't know if it was that much of a cliffhanger. But, I, know, uh, I, yeah. know. I I just I, you know I thought I thought a little sound design would help it out. Well, sure. Uh, Plus, I'm a sucker for that sound cue. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1925, before we move on, in 1925, the factory itself uh, reverted to, uh, I think, the ownership of the original president. Yeah, Bramley, right? Yeah, and then after that, it became a fastener company. And then I think it changed yeah. names again, but it's still kind of a fastener company because yeah. uh, the current name, and the current the place is still there. It's called the Erie Screw Company mm-hmm. uh, for Lake Erie, which is right nearby. Yep. Um, so it, it's still around. This factory is still around, but it's not really, I don't think it's producing anything right now, is it? Um, it it's a kind no, of a... now uh, I think a lot of... Uh, I think a lot of artists reside there. Yeah, it's kind of a, um, I, I don't know, it's a mixed use place, I guess, maybe. Is that what yeah, you call man. it? Like, uh, you know, artists hang out there and create and live and, um, there's more to it than that, too. There's uh, the guy, there's, there's a guy in town mm-hmm. who is a collector of Templar motor cars and he very, very shrewdly, very wisely, Early on, when there, there was property available there, when he was uh, when he knew that there was space to rent in this building, in yeah. this, uh, this Erie Screwworks building, he leased out uh, a significant you know room in this place, and that's where he parks his Templar car collection in the Templar Motors factory display. Uh, How which, cool is that? That that is really cool, and it's great that people are able to look at it too. You know, if I could be candid, it sounds like the screw factory is very similar in some ways to where I'm living now, which is that old Ford factory. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's very similar to that. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I've got a little bit of envy because there's not a display of, uh, you know, the kind of Fords that were manufactured there, but also it's a, 
it's kind of a wild place. So uh, well, it seems to me though, like with the history of the place that you live in, uh, that they should maybe have one on display. Management should buy one, even if it's not in the best condition. Yeah, just one for display. Like it's uh, it's a uh, it's a nod to the history of the place. Really, I, I think that's uh, that's something that a lot of places do. You know, if they if they inhabit a place that is famous for something, yeah, they. I mean, I don't know. Do you have photos on the wall or anything like that? There maybe a couple, like production I think, or? in the uh, in the. Um, property manager's office, but honestly, man, some of those tenants, I wouldn't trust them around. Anything nice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I understand. I understand. But I get it. makes you sound like a bad person. No, I get it. I get it. It's just that it uh, shares a parking lot with a murder Kroger. I, yeah, I should mention that, too. It did share a per- parking lot with a with the Kroger that in Atlanta is known as the Murder Kroger. But I don't live in a bad neighborhood, you guys. Oh, no, no, no. I just no, live in a very... Uh, we would never say that. Yeah, we would never say that because Snakebite will find that's, out. That's right. So the guy that uh, was, was so smart to uh, to lease some space yeah. in this building, his name is, uh, is Dave Bueller. Mm-hmm. And Dave has a collection of about a dozen of these cars, which is extremely impressive because, you know, the numbers that we told you, the, the low production numbers, relatively low, 6,000 cars total, they think that only about 30 of these cars exist in the world today. Right. That's a ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's really exactly sure, but, you know, 30 is right about where they're comfortable saying that's the number that's out there. He has 12 of them, and or about 12. I don't know if it's exactly 12. And he also has a, a just a ton of um, memorabilia. And you can go there, and this is maybe one of the most fascinating parts of this thing. And I, I've got one more little story I want to tell you after this, but this is the guy that, that again, has the space. If you call and you can do this on the Templar Motors site, you know, there's a Templar Motor Car site. Yeah. And he operates that. And you can call and request that he show you around the, uh, the property there. It's a, it's, I guess it's just free admission. He'll show you it by appointment only. So you can't just walk up and go in unless there's like a, an open to the public day, which I don't have any knowledge of right now. But, right. um, you can contact him and I don't have any of the contact information, but if you go to his website, it's again, it's just Templar Motors. You search it, you'll find it. Um, it's right there in Lakewood, Ohio, and again, it's just a—it's—it's it's probably the largest collection of Templar Motors memorabilia and cars that you'll ever see in one place. I, I can—you know what? I can say that for sure. Yeah, it's the largest you'll see. Right. I have immense respect for people like Mr. Bueller because what they're doing there—I think I personally believe it goes beyond uh, collecting cars and collecting cars and preserving them is—is is also I. A noble pursuit, in my opinion. Sure, but to share it with the world this way, you're becoming uh, you're becoming an historian, and because he is the expert here, he is the historian. Yeah. And I would love to bend his ear about uh, some some more information about Templar. Well, he's uh, the go-to guy for sure on this on mm-hmm. this this uh, this subject. Um, you know, I mentioned that there was one other thing that I wanted to mention. Yeah, here, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Regarding this topic and. It's something that had just – I don't know if I ever even, you know, let this register in my head when I've, I've heard about this. But um, I think we've all heard the name Cannonball Baker before, right? Yes. The, guy, the name E.G. Cannonball Baker. Uh-huh. Um, in 1919, uh, this guy Cannonball Baker set a world record for for speed by driving a Templar vehicle from New York City to Chicago. So this is not coast to coast. This is New York to Chicago in 1919 in 26 hours and 50 minutes. That's a long time to get Holy there, smokes. but you got to remember the 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 the, uh, the condition of the road, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, if the name Cannonball Baker, uh, you know, um, rings a bell, 
The reason is because it's tied into NASCAR history as well. And he was also the inspiration for the film Cannonball Run in the 1980s because he was the one who first drove... Well, I don't know if he did, did it first, but he did it fastest. He drove from uh, New York to L.A. In fact, I know he didn't do it first. He drove from New York to L.A., um, in a record time in, again, another Templar car in 1920. So a year later he did this. He, he crossed the entire nation in six days, 17 hours, and 33 minutes. And, uh, I, I mean, one of the, one of the uh, little bits of lore around this, uh, this story. Now, remember, this is almost a, uh, a week-long trip to get across the, uh, the country. Um, supposedly, he never took his, his shoes off the entire time. Oh, gross. So, yeah, I know, but, but the, I think what he was saying was, you know, in, in his interviews so afterwards, that he never had time to really rest, you know, that it was, yeah. it was on the road the whole time, he and his mechanic. And, um, it's quite a tale, really, if you read about, you know, the Cannonball Baker's run across the United States. Um, now again, he's not the very first one to do it, wasn't it? Um, Oh, that was the subject of a PBS documentary, Horatio's Drive, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it. And it inadvertently became a race uh, Uh because a manufacturer tried to do it. He was a privateer. Right. And a manufacturer heard about it and tried to catch him and Mm -hmm. pass him before he made it. And he went with his, he had his mechanic with him, too. Yeah, and a dog named Bud. And a dog named Bud. Yeah, that wore doggles. Remember yes. those? Yeah, there's some really cool photographs and some really – man, that's a great story. I love that story. Yeah, it was the inspiration for Airbud. And <laughs> it was not. <laughs> I almost went on and just said, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, um, but really, this this Cannonball Baker guy – and I should also point out that, uh, the, that the guy that did the Horatio's Drive thing um, – I can't remember his name exactly, all of it, but um, – he was not in a Templar, but but Cannonball Baker was mm-hmm. in, a, in a Templar car. And again, he used that vehicle to kind of showcase the durability and the safety of the vehicle right. um, in making these long-distance journeys way back then. So the Templar Motor Company, in, in summation, was making quality vehicles, right? Yeah. And they were on the higher end because they were emphasizing luxury. Yeah. But they really had, you know, they were smart about the way they went they went with and followed through their business plan but the problem is that sometimes these kind of catastrophes just occur you know this a fire is like a it's a devastating thing to any small business really yeah and it's um, not predictable yeah and i i mean i call it small business it wasn't really a small business but it was a business with 900 people um it, it's uh it's devastating to a, a startup company like that you know early on in their in their history it makes you wonder though had that fire not happened yeah. Would that be a name that we would be far more familiar with today? I mean, would they have gone on to success or would they have kind of fizzled out? I mean, you, right. just, you never know. Would we be driving Templars? Yes. I mean, so many of those companies went under, you know, then. I'm not saying that they would become one of the big three. It'd be like the big four, you know, be like Ford, Chrysler, GM, and, and Templar. You can dream, though. I would well, love to drive a car that was a Templar well, car. Well, it'd be kind of cool. It would be. And, you know, if you go to this factory, too, you know, you'll see the, um, uh, the Maltese cross on the windows and, uh, it's yeah. all over the cars. I mean, there's, there's symbols all over those cars, right? Uh, and the the symbolism is not just some aesthetic. Oh, this looks cool. They have they. It does represent, you know, um, I think beatitudes or prin- principles, mm-hmm. values, sure, uh, associated with the Templars, which, yeah. which I think is neat. It's a, I mean every every car has a story, and this just has a really interesting one. And I gotta tell you, man, I gotta tell you. I was having a hard time finding out how the fire started. Yeah. And I really want to know. Uh, I, 
Oh, come on. No, I'm not. Look, I'm not spinning any tinfoil tales here. <laughs> I just want to know if it was a... Um, well... Oh, I want to know. Just uh, that's all. I want to know what happened. All right. Well, let's just let's also point this out. Cleveland is awful close to Detroit, isn't it? You Holy know. smokes! It's, I didn't even think about that. It's really close. It's very close. So it's a possibility. No, there's way. there's always, well, there's always a possibility, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's more than likely that you know, it was in 1921. Maybe safety standards weren't quite as high as they are now, Ben. And uh, you know, some sparks from the the coal burning furnace in the in the wooden storage area. And they did have in the a wooden lot of, storage area. Yeah. Like, just, just have a shed full of wood in the middle of the factory. <laughs> and they did have a lot of paint. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. I'm, I have no idea. I'm just uh, saying that you know, they did have a fire. It was devastating to them. I just wonder. What would have happened if they had been allowed to continue past 1924? You know, would it have lasted until 1928 or would it have lasted until 1975 or would it still be around? You know what? Uh, I am going to say you're right. I I thought you were coming in to uh, to to bust up my uh, conspiratorial nature. But now you've got me thinking. <laughs> uh, and, and to be honest, yeah, it was it was probably, as you say, Scott, due to um, – safety standards that weren't where we're at today. Uh, but I will point out that there are two cases of the big auto manufacturers shutting down some sort of competitor unfairly. One is uh, the the streetcars out there in California. Sure. That really happened. Yep. Well, in numerous small towns. Yep. And then uh, the second is Preston Tucker. Okay. I will take that to my grave. I, I would buy that, and I've heard many other people that uh, that argue against that. Yeah, the, we've the, had the, some people who say, no, Preston Tucker uh, really was doing essentially like a, a scheme. Yeah. You know, and we but we, we know what those scheme things uh, – we know what the schemes look like. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah, we had some more information on this one that, uh, I mean, we, nothing that we had personally, but it's just information that's out there. You just have to dig and find it, but there's, uh, there's more to the story there. Um, okay, so, wow. But I, you know what? Okay, here's one more little thing that, uh, that could, could have happened, I suppose. I mean, there are 80 competitors right in that very area, like in that tight little area. Yeah. Um, or more than 80, I should say. Um, there's a chance, I guess, that somebody you know had some bad blood there with uh, with Templar Motors and didn't want to see them you know be as successful as they were in the previous five years. Haters. Yeah, I guess it could have been haters. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, that's probably you know, you know what those haters are going to do. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they were saying back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am. I am interested to hear in the cir- more about the circumstances, and I may reach out to uh, Mr. Bueller too if I manage to make contact with him. Then I will. Um, I will come back in uh, later episodes with an update uh, because I am convinced if someone someone knows uh, more details, then it's going to be him. Yeah, and you know what? Any of our listeners can do this too if they decide they want to go on a tour of this place because all you have to do is contact this guy on his website and he'll take you around. Again, it's by, by appointment only, only, but you can go to the building that is now the Erie Screw Factory and uh, and take this free tour. And I bet he has some fascinating stories. He has a lot of uh, a lot of tales to tell about the Templar Knights and about the cars themselves, and maybe even maybe even knows the inside scoop on that fire. Yeah. So uh, let us know if you hear back. You can also uh, check out more of our stories on car companies of yesteryear by visiting our website, carstuffshow.com. Going to go ahead and give you an insider tip 
ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen and ladies, if you haven't checked it out before, uh, and if you are a fan of true crime, uh, check out our episode on the Dale car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that ties it all together, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, it really does. That's like, a, yeah. a strange tale. Yeah, and that's a, that's another, uh, well, I don't want to spoil no, it. No, don't You're spoil it. You're just going to have to check the, it the, out. The Dale is a – it's an interesting, <laughs> weird story. Oh, it really man. is. Yeah, it really is. Was, well, you know, we should yeah. thank Bill S. for, you know, cluing us into this topic again. Because, yeah, uh, thank you so much, Bill. It's, a, it's, it's fun to look at history like this. I had no idea. I had never heard of the Templar Motor Company, and that's a little weird for me. I've never seen one before. I mean, but but then again, I knew about Cannonball Baker, but I, I just never – just. I don't know why ne- the the word Templar never yeah, really struck me. He, he he drove across in a Templar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it talks about it, and we've done shows on some of those things. But yeah, so thank you so much, Bill. Uh, we hope that we did this topic uh, relative justice. Uh, if we if we haven't, uh, or if you have any complaints, you can email us directly. We're jonathan.strickland at howstuffworks.com. Yeah, and you can get as mean and as nasty as you want with us. I, it, it's fine. I mean, you just gave them the address, and uh, yeah. uh, you can type in all caps if you want. Um, we can take it. You know, <laughs> include it. Include it. What do you call them? A GIF? <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are CarStuffHSW and you can see some neat things from time to time that don't make it to the air on the show uh, or you can interact with us uh, directly, especially if you catch me on Twitter during happy hour. <laughs> Ben, I wonder if Jonathan has any idea that we use him as like our complaint side. I wonder if he's really getting any of this stuff. Oh my gosh! Okay, uh, here I'll tell you the truth. So I was, I was. This is, um, this is a guy's uh, a coworker of ours, friend of the show. We've guested on each other's podcasts. He, he's the host of Tech Stuff and a show called Forward Thinking. And uh, both Scott and I have uh, been on. On his show, multiple uh, times, multiple times yeah. uh, on tech fun. stuff. It's a great show, and if you like engineering, you like mechanics, you like the future of technology, or even the past of technology, uh, we wholeheartedly recommend it. Not just the episodes that we happen to be in, but uh, but I wrote to um, Jonathan. I think it was. It may have been on Twitter or something, man. And it, may, it was on Twitter. Or it was in an email. Uh, where I said, oh, hey, I forgot. I almost did that joke that you do where you uh, tell somebody to send their complaints to someone else's address. But then I stopped because I didn't want to steal your thing. And he shoots me a look that is as cold as the Arctic on winter solstice or something. And he says, that's not my joke, Ben. That's your joke. Oh, boy. So maybe... So I think he has he's, a few emails. He might have received a few notes. I think he may have. <laughs> this oh, is funny. He's never talked to me about it. He's never talked... That's the closest. Uh, okay. But if, if so, Jonathan... Um, ben apologizes. Uh, oh, I was going to say I would like to be the kind of person who would apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Dream big. 2017. Uh, but yeah, in, in all seriousness, if you if you have some more information on the, the Templar Motor Company, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you. If you have some recommendations for topics you think your fellow listeners would enjoy in the future, then take a page from Bill S. and write to us directly. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. That is our actual address. That's the one. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 
Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.